0: Welcome to Pipeline Conversations, a machine learning podcast by ZenML. This week, I spoke with Mateo Rojas Carula, the CTO and a co founder of Laquera, and Matthias Kraft, also a co founder and the CPO there. Laquera is an AI safety company that does a lot of work in the computer vision domain, building a platform and tools for users to gain more confidence in the output and functionality of their models we discuss how they think about the testing of machine learning models and about how having this safety element up front has implications for how you go about the testing and ensuring robustness. We specifically dive into how to go about testing computer vision models and the various pitfalls that are to be found in that domain. Everything mentioned in the show will be listed in show notes as usual. And without further ado, here's the conversation.
1: Thanks a lot, Alex, for for having us on. Um, My name is Matteo. I'm a co-founder and CTO of uh, La a startup based in Switzerland. And these days I'm quite obsessed about the questions of or around, uh, you know, rethinking how we build machine learning systems and specifically machine learning systems and computer vision systems that we can trust. Um, There are massive challenges um, ahead in this direction. And uh, I believe there are pretty fundamental contributions we can do uh, at this time. My background is in uh, computer vision and applied math, which I, I did in France. And after a very short, very, very short passage through the uh, finance industry, uh, I joined the PhD program in machine learning. Uh, I was supervised by Bernard Trelkoff in the MPI and Rich Turner in Cambridge. And my main focus there was really around transfer learning and really thinking, you know, how do machine learning systems generalize? Um, and you know more fundamentally, what kind of assumptions can we make around probability distributions? You know the ones used for training, for testing, and you know ultimately the real world in a way that you can even talk about generalization uh, in that context. And you know at the end of the PhD, I was really um, still very fascinated by the field, but I felt like I had been living a little bit in a in a researcher's cloud. You know. Uh, doing my little projects and my little papers. And I wanted to see a little bit more how things are built in the real world. And uh, at that time, I decided to join Google here in Zurich and um, actually to detach myself from the machine learning world and go to more traditional software engineering. And that was a really fascinating experience. And uh, I was working in Google search. And it was very interesting to go from those PhD projects to building planetary level systems um, uh, you know, that really get evolved at very rapid speed. And for me, the major kind of culture shock uh, that uh, happened there was to see how traditional software systems are built uh, in a way that you can actually deploy at that scale and actually know that things will work and that they do work. Um, and it felt like just a massive gap from how we develop machine learning systems today. Uh, and I believe we'll get an opportunity to discuss that going forward. But uh, on that note, maybe Matthias can can go ahead.
2: Uh, yes, gladly. Um, I'm also a co-founder at uh, La Quera and uh, the CPO, uh, which means I'm sort of Mateo's, uh counterpart in, in many ways. Um, And in a practical sense, it means that I spend a lot of time trying to understand uh, the problems development teams face every day in developing computer vision systems and kind of trying to mold solutions on a product level around uh, the problems that they have. Um, Whereas then I can hand them over to Matteo to actually uh, build the solution uh, since he's in charge of the technical bits Um, and Yeah, to give a bit of context, before starting Lakera, I was actually also working as a computer vision developer. In particular, I worked on um, building essentially camera based equivalents of GPS systems. So, given an image, how can you um, find out where you are in the world? And there I got to play with a lot of computer vision technologies, you know, from very classical stuff like SLAM and global localization. Uh, to more ML-based um, approaches. And, you know, what uh, it really meant is that a lot of the challenges that we're now trying to solve, I actually also experienced in the past, um, which is, I think, a good starting point um, to to do this. And, yeah, even going back further than that, I uh, had a background in physics, and uh, I also stayed... Um, on to do a PhD like Matteo, but in theoretical physics, so very unrelated to anything I do now. But I think it taught me a lot on how to approach uh, problems and uh, tough challenges, which is very, very fun. And uh, my main, main sort of motivation at work solving large challenges. And, um, you know, that's also what we try to do with lakera
0: as a way of situating what it is that Lakera does, maybe you could talk a little bit about the core problems that you deal with, or the core problems that your users deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like, what is broken about this system?
2: Yeah, I mean, at at the uh, starting at the you know ten thousand uh, feet level, what we're trying to tackle is really uh, the challenge of of AI safety in many ways. Like, how can you build Um, AI systems, and in particular, we focus on computer vision uh, that are safe and work as expected uh, when you deploy them in the real world. And uh, what can development teams do to ensure the safety of those systems? And, you know, very uh, concretely, I think some of the challenges I always faced uh, we are around answering questions like, where does my system actually work, right? Uh, it's not a not a trivial question to answer previously when looking at more traditional software approaches, you know, it'd be relatively straightforward in some sense to really answer, okay. Does my uh, computer vision system work in this particular situation or not? But uh, with more complex systems, in particular with uh, computer vision, where you learn most of the behavior, questions like, okay, now you build a stop sign detector and it works, but does it still work if the color of the stop sign changes? They become very non-trivial to answer. And those are the kind of questions that if you deploy computer vision in industries where there's a little uh, little bit of a security aspect to them and uh, you know important things are at stake those are the questions you really have to answer and that's kind of what we try to answer with the products we build at Laqueira.
0: So Maybe you could give a kind of a com- concrete example just just to tie it down to 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 a specific use case how does safety and being able to trust what your ML model is doing like how does this specifically differ for computer vision since this is kind of the focus of what you're doing
1: so I think um, you know one one uh, pretty fundamental. I think maybe we can actually take it a little a little bit back and try to understand why the issue of of safety is particularly challenging challenging for AI systems and more precisely for computer vision systems, maybe. And I think as as part of that, kind of uh, good examples should 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 emerge. And maybe one one fundamental aspect is that you know. As I mentioned, going back to my experience uh, becoming a software engineer in a, in a more traditional setting, um, the way we test traditional computer vision systems, uh, sorry, traditional software systems um, is essentially by writing components of code that have a very clear contract. Um, and this contract you know, is implemented by a human, right? We know exactly what we want this function to do. We know in which settings it should work. Uh, and now we are... Um, Writing tests and you know trying to understand very well how this component behaves, and you know in a way the complexity of the software you know really is a bit of an emergent behavior of all of these small pieces of code that are interacting together. Each of those very well understood, and in some sense you know the the kind of macro behavior of, of this software um, uh, is is um, becomes arbitrarily complex, but really as, as often as an aggregation of very clearly understood components, and Specifically, I think the, the kind of safety or test, you know, ability to build such systems safely in part results from the fact that we can test all of these components extremely well in isolation. And, you know, as a result, you know, the, the kind of um, testing quality that comes out becomes um, relatively high and, and, and trustworthy. Now, with, with the machine learning and computer vision, I think that is fundamentally flipped. So... You know the way that we can think about it is you have a data set, you have some data that you can collect in the world, and you have a model class that is arbitrarily can can app- approximate arbitrarily complex functions uh, and is extremely powerful. And now we have you know also the compute the computational means to actually train that and to actually um, um, extract the signals and the dependencies that are in that data set that allow us to solve the problem. And now. And and this may seem a little bit simplistic in some sense, but, you know, ultimately we write a few lines that say, you know, load data, uh, train model, uh, model model.fit. And at the end, we're going to have a lot of complexity, you know, and this complexity was not an emergent behavior of, you know, a bunch of uh, different components like in traditional software, but is um, now just a system that is, in front of us and is extremely complex uh, and difficult to understand. And I think that's fundamentally where I see one of the key difficulties in ensuring the safety of AI systems, as opposed to traditional systems, as, you know, where we have a lot more knowledge, is that we now have to understand, you know, whether they work um, as, as we obtain them uh, and the issue of understanding, you know, how, how they actually perform is is pretty challenging and we can get into details of why that is um, but i think very concretely you know if you want something like an example we can imagine building something like uh, like a medical device you know where you may want to predict um, some medical condition maybe you know uh, given some x-rays you want to predict the presence of, of some disease you know and now you're going to download some data sets online you're going to maybe even work together with some hospital uh you're going to train the data, train the model Uh, with based on a state-of-the-art network you know it's going to look great after a few iterations you know on your very nicely left out validation set you get like amazing numbers you know you think you have your uh, billion dollar company ready and then you know you go for a little pilot in the clinic next door and then you realize that everything breaks Um, and i think that 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 is essentially something that happens at scale um in in machine learning you know we have uh, a certain knowledge of what it means to test a machine learning system um, which essentially relates to aggregate metrics and you know to held out data but then what it actually means to work in production and to work safely in production needs significantly more uh, work and you know development teams ultimately, ultimately have the burden of proof you know to show that that it works but the knowledge is missing and I think precisely that kind of questions, you know, like, how do I know that I'm ready to go to a clinical trial? How do I know that I'm re- ready to go for production? How do I know that my system is actually work as intended in, uh, once it hits production? These are very concrete the questions we want to help people answer. And I think, um, you know, I gave the medical example, but this goes way beyond that. You can imagine, you know, autonomous driving, um, aut- autonomous inspection, industrial inspection, Um, all sorts of applications in healthcare. All of these things have this fundamental challenge of ensuring that things actually work and that you build the system you wanted to build. And uh, that's where we as the care come in and try to contribute and help.
0: I'm kind of curious, like if you have, have any sense of how you think we ended up where we are, because as an outsider, I guess, if you told them, well, yeah, we can do these amazing things with computer vision technology and whatever large models that we have but you know when it comes down to it for serious systems now nah, we can't we can't really tell you whether like we can't really trust them properly and we don't maybe understand this like does this tell us something about the immaturity of the field or the priorities of how people have gone about building these systems in the past what
2: what's going on there yeah i would um i mean i can give one part of the answer which i think it's partially because we look at problems which are just much harder than the classes of problems that we looked at before. Um, So, you know, me having worked on classical computer vision as well as ML systems, I kind of know how difficult it is to build a classical CV system with, um, you know, geometrical uh, methods, thinking about all the the cases and really trying to grapple with the problem. And there's an inherent limitation in that approach because the world is much more complex uh, than I at least have the ability um, to handle in terms of solution approaches that I come up with. Whereas machine learning gives this, you know, fantastically powerful method to do things that I cannot do by hard coding them uh, or by doing some some fancy maths but of course there's a a downside to that which is that I know a lot less about the system that I'm actually building and how it works and I think that's a lot of that comes down to being a symptom of actually solving a much harder problem than we tried to solve before Um, but there is also the side of maybe data science, you know, being being uh, maybe not quite a mature engineering discipline as compared to software engineering. So there's yeah.
1: that aspect uh, too. So I think that's, that's uh, indeed uh, a good point as well, because I think, you know, it's very easy to forget how young machine learning as a, as a really uh, prominent discipline is, you know, I, I, even for me, you know, I started my PhD in 2014 and at the time I was uh, implementing gradients by hand, you know, debugging with finite differences and things that today are just unthinkable. And, you know, it, it is a, a while ago, but, you know, it's not that long ago. Um, and I think the the field has progressed significantly, but more in a in a very constrained setting, right, where we have become really good at solving very punctual problems where we know we have the data roughly uh, we know we're testing on similar things uh, and and the effort has gone in some sense in both a methodological and you know more engineering uh, level work to like scale these models in a way that you can get to arbitrarily impressive uh, applications I mean lately you know GPT3 all these different um, systems are, are really quite impressive but I think that that has a little bit come at the cost of not investing enough. Um, in the kind of um, know-how and work and research around how to actually deploy these systems uh, in a way that that they work, I think you know, what the, the the effort has really been in learning more and more complex representations in some sense and more and more complex problems, um, and and in some sense, if you think about it, one could say the the these systems just make bigger and bigger failures as well. GPT-3 does amazing things, but you can also make it fail pretty, um, pretty gloriously. Um, and I think what's happening now is that we have invested a lot, a lot in this and it has been a, bit of a, been a bit of a sprint in some sense. You know, we're talking like a 10-year uh, development. And now the technology, the core technology is at a point where it's actually starting to be used more and more for industrial applications. And there we are actually realizing that, you know, it's just not enough to learn complex mappings and complex dependencies and, you know, uh, and so on. But we actually need to have a, a responsibility as, as providers, you know, of customer facing applications to guarantee quality and safety. And I think we're just kind of at the process where the, the corresponding research and so on is starting to be looked at. Uh, and we're just lagging a little bit behind on that direction, I would say.
0: What does it mean in, in practical terms to, to test computer vision ML systems? What do you need? What do people expect? Where are we right now with that process?
2: I think, you know, the, the, to some extent, the gold standard way of um, testing machine learning systems before a deployment is still, you know, you, you have your training data, you have your validation data, and you have your test data and you know you use that in various ways to train your model to find the best uh, architecture of the model and to then decide whether it's kind of ready to be shipped but you know that's sort of a bit of a flawed approach and i think many people realize that because when you then deploy the model into production I think by now, most most people know that things look a little bit different and that probably what you shipped initially was not quite the right thing and maybe needs some further work and further fine tuning. So I think what a lot of people follow is what we call like a ship to test strategy. So where you deploy it, um, but not with the intention of this being the real final deal, but to actually test whether it works. And, you know, I think that's that's good in some sense, because it lets you get out the door quickly and improve quickly. But at the end of the day, if I am a customer uh, who is accustomed to getting, you know, software that just works on day one, that's not a fantastic experience. And I think... Ultimately, to provide the best customer experience and to build safe systems, you know, we need to change the focus a little bit from this shipping to test, to actually test it properly, to then ship a system that's already mature um, and already working well. And of course, we can then iteratively improve that. But I think the the strategy of testing it before we deploy, there's a lot of work that can be done on that pre-deployment first testing. And uh, maybe Matteo can tell you a little bit more about uh, the things we kind of have in mind there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there, there indeed needs to be a bit of a fundamental mentality shift from this you know ship to test to a more test to ship mentality, uh, which is, I guess, what's done rather in the traditional uh, software development, and you know, it's related to test driven development and all these different um, concepts, right? Um, and I think at, at the highest level, and I would be very happy if we can go in different directions uh, here. So it's really a very high level. Um, we see testing of ML systems a bit like uh, a bit like a three layer system, you know, um, a three layer approach, at the highest level, you really want to test your system, you know, and I think this is a very interesting discussion to be had, because it it is our fundamental belief that a model is often not enough to have a purely safe system. Uh, So, you know, often, you know, in, in critical settings, like autonomous driving, you may need to reach accuracies and performances that are just orders of magnitude away from anything you would get with a single model no matter how good the model is so then you need to add system level you know tricks that are very well understood in other areas of safety engineering and 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 so on um, that help you get there and i think at the highest level you really have to test that system that end-to-end system Uh, again happy to dive in in there a little bit more Uh, and at that level you know you may want to test not only the end-to-end performance but things like like latency you know like is this working on device well like um can can i actually um do i have enough redundancy so that if some of the components of my system fail you know i can actually uh still perform and and so on um then goes you know the next level which is around really model testing and models will inevitably be uh, a component of the system and at that level you know we think of testing in several directions you know there are um ultimately what you want to do is really assess generalization and you want to assess you know how like ultimately there's always a a gap between what you have to test and train and what the real world will throw at you and there is just so much variability and like a combinatorial explosion of factors that can impact the real world that you know um, plus a plus a moving target right that the real world will be always changing and so um, ultimately you know we need to assess performance given what we have um, and try to bridge that gap as much as we can while while we build the system, and for that you know of course you have the classical metrics that we all know and love, yes. um, but you know you often have to go way beyond that. You have to test things around model robustness, you know so how does my model react to changes in the real world, and you know does it does it uh, behave gracefully as you do that? very, very importantly, how does it work on key slices of your data so you know it is often like generalization is often thought about or or performance in terms of a probability distribution of your system, but in reality, um, often the tails matter a lot, you know often even if something is in the tail of the distribution and indeed very rarely observed in practice, you know and therefore would be kind of ignored by any aggregate metric, maybe you that's precisely what you care about, and testing these kind of things is extremely important um in in uh, at this level. and then you know, at the lower level you really have the the data and the data testing. And I think, you know, we, we very much adhere to this idea that uh, of, of some kind of data-centric ML, you know, where um, the work is not really in, like, finding the perfect act- architecture that, you know, by chance overfits on your data, on your test data or, or something like that, um, but rather to... Work on having the right data for the problem, and really understanding as quickly as possible what data you're missing and what data you need to get in multiple ways, so that you actually get to that system that you want to build. And so, at the data level, you know, you really have to test several things, like representativity, uh, simple things like duplications and corruptions, but also like shortcuts, biases. You know, there are many things that can be tested at the data level, and essentially, you know, by having good coverage at these three levels of testing we believe that you can you know make a massive progress towards a rather test to ship like strategy
0: yeah that's that's a really interesting kind of three-pronged approach and it, it definitely seems of those three that perhaps the the middle like model testing part is maybe the one where people have focused on more at least that's my understanding of of what's being done and then nowadays you have a little bit more emphasis on the data testing side, although it's unclear how much people are actually doing this versus just saying that they're doing data-centric approaches or, or whatever. Um, but I, yeah, I'd definitely be interested in hearing more uh, about that that top layer of kind of the end-to-end system level testing because that, I don't know, I don't feel you you hear as much about. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear your approach or your insights on, on what you find
2: works, works with that. Maybe to to maybe I start by illustrating what we mean with the system. Right. Um, So there's obviously the system that at the end of the day gets shipped to the customer. Right. Um, And that, you know, in a simplified sense, gets an image and outputs something. and part of that will normally be a model or an ensemble of models or you know some some other architecture you have chosen to perform your core task but let's say your core task is uh you know detecting stop signs or something like that and you build a model um to do that then there are other auxiliary systems that you may want to put into that for example something uh you know, which uh, detects against uh, out of distribution stop signs, you know, and that may be a totally different model in itself. It's kind of a a safeguard mechanism of saying, okay, you have this stop sign detector, but the data that I got looks nothing like I previously saw. Don't trust the output. Um, So what I mean to say by that is that there may be various components in one system and then you should test all of these in isolation of course but at the end of the day you also need to test the aggregate of it all right Um, if i feed something in which is not expected does my uh stop sign detector just produce an output or does it actually flag that is something wrong there um so there it's it's really important to have a holistic view of how you know but what is the expected behavior not only on the model level but on this higher level and how can i test for all of these behaviors
0: how much of that can be automated versus needing kind of humans in the loop because i mean obviously with images like you need to do some kind of statistical calculations around distributions and things like that to be able to understand like there's still some you're still maybe one level away from from the actual representations of what's going on in the images
2: so maybe um, uh, what, what do you mean exactly by which parts can be automated
0: uh just in terms of um uh of what what you were saying in terms of understanding like how how a model is performing and and where its its shortcomings are or or whatever whatever is being output from the model how are you comparing comparing those two things um, aside from just the fact that maybe you have a validation uh, data set or so on, which, sure. as we mentioned earlier, like comes with, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting ways of doing that is that at a system level, you certainly have expected behaviors that you can talk about, right? Um, maybe, maybe one expected behavior would be that... Uh, very simply, if you have a stop sign and you horizontally flip the image, you may be not expecting that the output is the same because you know, if, if you flip around the center, uh, the, the letters don't make any sense anymore. So that's a behavior that you can test at the system level. And uh, you can imagine that similar, uh, similarly to traditional software, you can Write these behaviors, encode them in tests that include some data, but also the behavior, and then check at that system level: does this actually behave like I intended?
1: Yeah, and I, I, I would I would uh, complement that with saying that I I do believe that you know a lot of of this can be automated um, and and should be automated uh, for reasons that I can uh, I can mention um, afterwards. But I think inevitably. You know, there will be a human in the loop. Like, I think you know, the way we think about this is really um, something like what we built can sit at different uh, stages in the development process. But, you know, it is fundamentally around the development process. Right. And so I think the kind of things you want to. So assuming you have some labels, for example, and even if you go beyond the system and just talk about a single single model, you know, there, there are. A lot of, there's a lot of research in the direction of, you know, fuzz testing and, you know, metamorphic relations, which as Matthias was implying, you know, say even if you have some labels, you know, there are some modifications on these images that should actually preserve that those labels, you know. Um, you know, a rotated dog is still a dog, you know. And so, uh, but way beyond that, you can really start to decompose, you know, how how do changes in the real world occur, you know. And in some sense, you end up with, you know, significantly more, Labels and, and and images to to test in right, but even even if you go beyond that, um, I think fundamentally what you what you want to answer for development teams and the humans in the loop is really um, what what is the area what are the areas of highest uncertainty right now? You know what are the perhaps the things that look the seem to indicate the highest risk? Where is the where are the slices where you seem to have really um, problematic performance? Um, you know, what is, uh, what are robustness issues that seem to really affect your model? And then as a, as a developer or a team building such systems, you can really decide to prioritize, you know, like what should I do next? And in some sense, you know, that, that automation or that those automatic insights around, you know, how do you poke holes into these systems and actually try to, uh, look for failures and, and, and try to understand the behaviors where, where they break and they don't, which can all be, as Matthias said, encoded in, in, in very clear be expected behaviors. Um, ultimately that should lead to um, an action from a human in the loop, you know, uh, and, and this can go, you know, in, in many directions, not only like you, you can often what people have is they have a massive data, data set that is unlabeled. You know, you collect uh, multiple cameras, multiple frames a second, you know, just, lot and then you just don't know what to label you have limited capabilities right and so a fundamental question then becomes you know how do you get feedback from your tests and from uh, your automated insights so that you know what data to get next what data to label next you know what what, how do you proceed you know and ultimately um, I think that's that's where things um, uh, really help and you know I think just to not to diverge too much but I think the idea of having a human in the loop is, is almost um, uh, necessary in many instances. And and as Matthias was saying, like a key component of testing is partially that once you deploy, you know, you have a very good notion of what you use to build your system. So you're in a very good position to identify problematic inputs on the fly. And, you know, I think kind of graceful failure, you know, in some sense, like that you're able to not just silently fail, but just collapse to a situation where... Um, uh, a human can perhaps um take over um that that's really an ideal situation to be in uh you know the 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 kind of silent failures that m l systems suffer from are probably one of the largest challenges to tackle on this whole in this whole story
0: maybe that's a good place if uh if one of you could describe a little bit what exactly you built at Lacera, because i guess you're you're t- working directly to address some of these issues
1: so i think um we you know, as, as Matthias uh, mentioned at the beginning, we're quite obsessed with uh, with the very high level question of of building systems that we can trust and that are safe. And you know, we start with computer vision, um, and right now we, re- we really build in in two directions. Like one is really it's a product called ML Test, and the core you know value proposition of ML Test is really to tell you to essentially open up your black box and. Tell you where your system fails, um, and try to quantify the risk that this presents uh, for failures in operation. So essentially, it's a tool for you know assessing how your system will actually perform, and uh, more more precisely, where it is likely to fail. You know, uh, I think as we were saying earlier, the 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 main difference between you know traditional software and ML is that you know the the complexity emerges at day one. You know, you build your startup you train your first system and then you have a complex system right there. And now what we have learned from speaking to many hundreds of people building applications in, in all sorts of areas of, of ML and computer vision is that the issue of then building the infrastructure um, and and the testing around that system often absorbs a lot of the resources of these teams, often small teams. Um, and, 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 you know, it, the result of that is that often only the big players can innovate because only they can, you know, invest in this kind of infrastructure. And um, the, the issue with that is that not only does it take a lot of resources to build a testing infrastructure, but because of the shortcomings in the maybe research and know-how direction, it's an even hard, it's a hard question to answer. What, what does it even mean to test machine learning system? Um, and in that sense, you know, what we do is that, uh, so as opposed to traditional systems, I think the ML uh, world will really go in a direction where a lot of this testing is automated because, you know, that know-how really requires a lot of expertise and, and time and, and development. And ML Test is really a product that tries to equip all computer vision teams out there with a Tesla-level, you know, testing infrastructure without having to build it uh, in-house. Um, and, you know, the as I mentioned, it, it does so by finding vulnerabilities in uh, these machine learning systems that go in several directions. They go in the data direction, in the robustness direction, uh, you know, automatic finding of of failure buckets, you know, where does your system fail uh, based on image properties, based on metadata, and how can you use that to prioritize your development and to know, um, you know, what you should do next, finally. Um, In addition to that, it it also brings a, a, a transparency and communication angle. As Matthias was mentioning, you know, often one of the hard questions to answer is, you know, does our system work in these situations? Or, you know, where does our system, and more importantly even, where does our system not work? You know, uh, I think these are questions that are very difficult to answer um, and that we work really hard to to answer for people. Um, and, you know, I'll let Matthias add anything he may be missing on the ML test side, but we also think a lot about the operational side as well. So the, you know, what what, what happens once you're in production uh, and, and, you know, having used ML test to build your system, we're in a very good position to understand what is unusual for that system and what is really outside of the operational design domain, so to say, of, uh, the system was, was trained on. And we, you know, we're focusing quite a lot there on actually, um, trying to alert, you know, failures early because on undeniably the world will change data will change and often, uh, uh, the kind of failures that will appear will take a very long time to be identified and we want to focus on those issues.
2: One of the things that we work very hard on on the ML test side is that with all this testing, not only should you get a very good idea where your model fails, but also exactly under which conditions it works. Um, And then that's sort of the base assumption that you can then work on by deploying it. And then ML guard, what it does is also then allow you to assess you know am I still sort of in that range of base performance or have I now degraded and uh, should I maybe you know alert the user or um, retrain my models
0: I guess you work with different different industries I know there's a kind of a, certainly a lot of focus on your website about medical um, medical use cases but I know you work with with other industries. I'm curious, have you have you found that there are different uh processes or expectations around how people develop and deploy their, their models? Um I don't know, I'm just thinking of certain industries where there may be some certain like privacy boundaries or, or, or things which, which need to be in a certain way which dictates what you can and can't do in terms of how you're testing things.
2: Yes, I think there's there's definitely differences, particularly on the angle you just mentioned, which is uh, data privacy. Um, So in the medical imaging domain, um, but also partially in in robotics, um, you can't really expect that your application uh, sends you back all the data that it finds um, during operation. Right. uh customarily you do not get access to the data when it's when the system is deployed and you know that makes these challenges all the more harder because how are you going to know whether um, whether your system is underperforming if you've never seen the data um, and if you could never label the data uh, so that is definitely an aspect that uh, varies um, i don't know if it's so much from industry to industry or from um application to application but certainly you know data privacy is a a very big topic in uh, in the healthcare sector
1: that's uh, yeah i think just to to add to that i think uh something else that is very interesting is that you know in addition to the kind of core testing functionalities that you know people building rgb computer vision may need and that's why we really try to address with our products i think there is a fundamental component that is kind of uh, behind that also, which is certification, you know, so many of the companies we work with uh, in healthcare, but also in other areas um, have actually, you know, do have to go through certification processes and these certification processes uh, are evolving, you know, right now, I think there's a general um, line of work that is really trying to understand what it even means to certify these ML systems. But I think that's, that's clearly also, like, something that is, varies a little bit depending on the different use cases, which are, you know, what kind of um, evidence do we need to provide for certification? And, you know, ultimately, uh, that is something, that's another angle that, you know, provides a little bit of variability in what people care most about. Um, you know, there is kind of the, the does it, does, where does my system not work? And then in addition, there is kind of the requirement side for certification, which, which of course needs, needs to fit in the picture. the picture.
0: I'm curious how you, um, how you see the, the role of annotation into this whole process. Um, it seems like certain companies seem to really give it a lot of priority and, and value, and others, it's, it's almost an afterthought. How is this part, part of the, the overall cycle?
1: I think annotation is quite key. Uh, uh you know as we were saying, we fundamentally believe that probably one of the core insight as part of your development that you may get from testing um and of course it's not necessarily the same depend depends on where the testing sits in the pipeline of course, there is testing during development there is testing before sending to production all of this fulfills different role but at least the testing that is done during training I believe um ultimately should lead to the question of you know what data do I Gather next, you know, and what do I do? I annotate next, um, and I think therefore um, annotation plays a crucial role. Something we find, for example, is that often companies ask very, very late, um, what are the what are the key metadata dimensions, for example, that we need to keep track on on our data so that we can do good testing. You know, um, of course, we care a lot at La of you know, testing from image features alone. And we do a lot of work on that direction. But, you know, if you already know the age of the patient, the gender of the patient, um, you know, the demographic, the hospital he was taking on, the machine he was taking on, for example, you know, you're in a much better position to understand what are concerning areas, you know, where, where the model is, is not performing. And, and in that direction, um, I believe, the, the question of even defining the annotation task you know what are it is much better to f- ask these questions early um, and then uh, and maybe that's maybe the first the earliest impact that test driven development can have in ml which is you know it forces you to ask beforehand you know what are the things that i need to collect what are the things that i need to annotate um, but you know i think uh, there is a clear loop in that sense between testing insights during development uh, and then data quality, data annotation—you know—and and, and in that sense, I believe that these play a very key role. And you know, um, if if you're working with poorly annotated data uh, that perhaps does not even fit quite the 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 right granularity for the problem you're trying to solve, that is missing the right, the, the metadata that you need, etc. You you're putting yourself in a much worse position to actually get your system to production
2: and and maybe i might i add on to that um that what matteo just raised the point of metadata that is actually something which is um differently developed in different industries i would say um so and that is that is primarily driven by the necessity of the problems that people in these industries solve like if you build a medical imaging device and you want to get this through fda certification um, they will ask you questions like well does this system work equally well on patients of the age 25 or 50 now if all you have is an image and a label whether this uh, image was cancerous or not there's no way that you can answer that question Um, so that's why companies in you know, the medical imaging space, uh, for example, place more emphasis on collecting this metadata early because they know they will have to answer these types of questions, which ultimately tell you a lot about where your system works and where it doesn't work. And another good example would be would be autonomous driving, actually. They have, by, by nature of the data that they collect, they have a lot of metadata that are not quite... Um, know maybe necessary to do the core task but that helped them a lot in understanding where does the system work where do they need more data and where do they need to focus their resources on so in that sense the more of this auxiliary data you have I think uh, the the faster you can ultimately develop and the better system you can build because it it creates transparency
0: I kind of see the role that synthetic data plays. It's, it's somehow a, a part of the annotation story as well. Like how, how significant is that? Is is this still like a, um, a developing field? So maybe we don't know the, fully what this is going to bring or, or what the, the possibilities are there?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely fits in there. And I think it's an important uh, piece of the puzzle. Now, how how developed it it is, I think, you know, depends kind of on on the application. If you look at, um, you know, making very high quality outdoor scenes, um, uh, it's a lot of effort, but um, if you, if you work on like lower fidelity data, there's maybe a lot more that you can do realistically already, but ultimately, you know, simulation is the ideal way of, you know, testing for specific behaviors and generating these, uh, metadata at, at scale, right? Not everyone is in the lucky position that autonomous driving is in that they have more data than they, uh, can actually process like, particularly in medical
1: imaging, um, data is, is scarce. And, and you know, actually that led, leads to an interesting thought experiment, which, which uh, you know, comes back to your annotation question, which is, if you had the perfect simulator, you know, um, how would you actually prioritize, you know, which data do you ask from it so that you can indeed build a better system? Like, how do you ask the questions? How do you actually um, use that oracle in some sense, you know, to, to even build your system? Because, you know, even then you cannot say generate infinite data you know so even then you actually have to guide that process in a way that leads you to a system that works and um so the realism of it is one angle and as matthias said i think that it it will and does play a key role in building good systems but uh, then again it also shows you how you need some kind of guiding light in the process of building which we believe is fundamentally test driven to to even know what questions to ask and how to how to play with that oracle simulator in some sense
0: and i guess even at a more fundamental level if you want to build realistic images you have to understand all of the different ways that your images can exist in the world what's realistic what's not like it's, it's all comes back to you understanding your data and what kinds of things are yeah possible i guess Absolutely.
1: Um,
2: exactly but also much like uh, uh you know testing i think creating high-quality synthetic data is is a highly specialized skill. Um, So I don't know if I I would recommend a a small startup uh, to to spend vast resources on building a simulator in-house. But, you know, there are are great companies who have a lot of expertise in making ultra-realistic seats.
0: In everything that you've been talking about, are there tools that you love working with at Lakera, things which you found really help with the whole spectrum of things that you've been talking about today?
2: Um, Good question. I mean, on the ML side of tools, I think I definitely like uh, DVC quite a bit because uh, it gives you nice traceability um, of data changes and uh, model changes. You know, as a developer, I, I use Git a lot, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but that's really, I think, a key key tool to establish uh, traceability, um, you know, in, in an ML workflow, I would say.
0: And you found that scales well uh, and can handle the kinds of volumes, particularly for image data?
2: That's a good question. Um, I haven't... Uh, Hit, hit the wall in that sense yet yeah. right. that way okay um
0: oh. yeah no i'm just like curious to often ask people who are working in specific domains like what are the things that really excite them and sometimes there are little tools here or there a few weeks ago you both um i think you were both there maybe uh, at a little kind of demonstration you gave of 51 um mm-hmm. by uh, by voxel which is i find it a really like nice way to deal with like uh, anomaly detection and so on and nice interface and, and so yeah. on that yeah many people don't know
1: yeah absolutely box 51 was, was really interesting we haven't used it actively as part of our own development but uh, i absolutely see how uh such tools can, can make a massive difference and and then again you know as you mentioned i believe uh, in that conversation kind of the Integration with the, the whole data annotation pipeline and so on is pretty essential uh, to, to 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 the value of the tool as well.
2: Yeah, that's maybe one of the things that uh, you know, at least to me, uh, is very important. That you know, whichever tool you use, uh, it, it fits seamlessly into your workflow, and I don't have to think about it, right? Um, and it helps me set up a professional development workflow, uh, which is something I find uh, on traditional software. Git does so well.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's the dream for MLOps. I'm not sure whether we're quite there yet, just the, the large, large number of tools that you inevitably have to end up using at various stages of the pipeline. Um,
2: yeah, i fully agree which makes uh, you know the the integration aspect all the more important that they somehow uh, fit well together and i think that's something you know for for the tool developers in the ml ops community to really try uh take on board and push for that uh, you know if you look at one part of the process make sure it fits in with other parts of the process um, because ultimately had a success in a, in a in a development team, you go through that process a lot. So any type of friction um, will eventually, you know, harm the usage and all the good intentions.
0: So we like to usually end uh, end the podcast with with a couple of kind of quick questions. Um, I guess uh, Matthias, you you answered the second one already somehow. Um, uh, so maybe I can can. Um, uh... At least, get, well, we'll start with the first one. Uh, so what would be kind of a, a, a quick win that someone could add to make their putting models in production more robust um, based on your experience?
1: Something very interesting that we found that is maybe a very easy win, uh, I believe. And, 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 and actually, it's very good to illustrate um, some of what's lacking in the, in the mentality of how we develop ML systems is that you know, augmentations, for example, Um, for building more robust systems are are a key part of anyone's pipeline. Anyone will tell you, of course, I add brightness, I add motion blur, I add this, I add that. Um, But then somehow there is a bit of a leap of faith. There is a leap of faith that those augmentations have the desired effect um, and that actually if you added all these brightness transformations, then your system is actually going to be robust to that. And very interestingly, so we've been playing quite a lot with, like, state-of-the-art YOLO models, um, you know, on COCO and on different data sets. Um, and, you know, not only are these models really non-robust uh, to a bunch of real-world um, variations, but even to the simple things that they were used, they were trained on, you know, um, they often are not robust. Uh, you know, they break quite badly with with all of these different things. And to me you know, kind of a, a key learning there, uh, and it says, says a lot about testing, is that this leap of faith is really not warranted. And in general, you know, if you expect some of these behaviors from any work you do on the augmentation side, for example, these, the, the effect that you expect from those should be explicitly tested. Uh, and this is something that I believe can add a lot of quick wins because, you know, um, we, be, we, we find that systems are kind of non-robust at scale uh, in many, many different ways. Uh, and in that sense, um, uh, just something as simple as that can actually help quite significantly in getting more robust models out there
0: and I guess to return to the to the tooling question uh just to throw it out there again, like explicitly like is is there something that you you feel is really missing or going kind of um, yeah not being paid 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 attention to um in the space
1: I think the integration question, to be honest, is pretty much key. So I think that's something that we have heard from many, many people, many customers, many users, and many people out there is that they care less even fundamentally about fancy features than they care about how it integrates into their workflow. You know, I agree with you that there's a bit of a stitching to do between all the different DevOps players and that will take time. And I think, you know, as things evolve, I think there'll be more clarity there. But you know, people use Git. People like GitLab or GitHub, people use CICD, people use DVC, people use other forms of version control. And ultimately, if you want to do something like testing for behaviors, I think the last thing you want to do is, you know, spin off a notebook and run some sales by changing some paths manually you make sure that you are on the right model. And I think people often, I would say, overinvest in the features at the kind of cost of not thinking too much about integration. And to me, whatever will make it out there as, as part of that final, more stable ecosystem will necessarily integrate very well. And I believe that's something that the field can really benefit from.
0: Yeah, I guess each test failure is like a future saving of some catastrophic thing which gets released into the world that you don't want to happen. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it was definitely fascinating to learn about yeah your approach to this. And um, yeah, it seems like a a wise way to go about things that you're proposing thank you so much for having us thank you for listening to this latest episode of pipeline conversations if you enjoyed what you heard please consider giving us a review wherever you get your podcasts it helps us get seen by more people and of course it's always nice to receive feedback if you have suggestions for future guests please send them over to podcast and zenml.io thanks until next time